I'm going to hard gear shift into some really uh, into a heavy thought. Uh, Sarah mentioned the synagogue in Pittsburgh, and that's kind of been heavy on me. Maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but um, this weekend, 29 people were killed and they were shot and killed in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Um, and um, you know, it's heartbreaking. And I would just like to pray for them before we move forward. Lord God, we we cry out to you on behalf of uh, our our Jewish brothers and sisters and the Jewish community um, who is hurting and grieving right now. And uh, God, we uh, their Bible is part of ours. Uh, uh, you are their God and you are our God. Um, the promises that you make to us in the Psalms, you make to them as well. And Lord, I just pray that they will find you to be their refuge today. That you will draw near, that you will bring peace and comfort in the midst of overwhelming sorrow. And that your love and kindness and faithfulness would be revealed to them in the midst of this uh, this tragic event and and Lord with with the psalms of lament we ask how long how long does this stuff have to happen come quickly Lord and bring justice bring righteousness bring love into our land in Christ I pray amen <coughs> Uh, I am returning from a father-son camp out this weekend. We were at Lake uh, Arrowhead outside of Wichita Falls a couple hours away. And, you know, it's rained so much in the last month or six weeks or so that on the, on the road in, the country road leading into the state park, there, there was water uh, right up to the side of the road all the way in. And I'm thinking, it's not supposed to rain this weekend, is it? Because we may never leave uh, except by boat. Uh, and we wondered, where is the where is the field where we're going to play football? I mean, the map says there's one right here. But there's just water everywhere. And, and pelicans and... <laughs> And turtles, yeah, and the stench of dead fish, you know, everywhere. But that did not keep us from having a good time. You know, one of the cool things about uh, Lake Arrowhead is that there is a little prairie dog community. And they have these underwater, uh, not underwater, I mean, some of them are underwater. Uh, Some of their holes are filled with water, but they have this underground network, uh, like in the fantastic Mr. Fox, you know, I would imagine. Uh, anybody, you know what? Yep. Uh, this underground network of tunnels, and they would come out, and they would let us get like a, a, a foot from them. Uh, and I heard, I guess David fell and uh, landed right in one. And and Paul also, um, we were playing football. He stepped in one and just bit it. He's going to have to tell you, man. It was. He was going to get a touchdown otherwise, but. Uh, that's right. The prairie dog pulled him down a little bit. So we had this. We had a great time. It's part of a tradition I haven't talked about very much. But two or three years ago, we started doing this, and we've had these campouts 
uh, a couple of times a year for for fathers and sons. And so we had six father-son pairs. And this is a way that we invest in our boys. Um, it's a way that we have some quality time um, with our kiddos. It's a way that we, throughout the weekend, we have a few different little 15-minute spiritual talks about what does it mean to be a man of God. Uh, and, you know, we, we do fun exercises, and it's a really special, smelly, good food eating kind of time that we have. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's an extension of this, um, of this community. That's a part of the way that we are discipling our kiddos into the way of Jesus, is to retreat together. Uh, in the same way that we're retreating um, next weekend up to Denton together. So I bring you greetings from, uh, from that uh, camp out this weekend. Uh, we are coming to the end of our conversation series, our message, message series in 1 Corinthians. I can't believe it. Like it is, we started in April. Right? Six years ago. I mean, it's not quite that long. I heard John Piper did like a sermon series for like eight years out of Romans. And, you know, like we, it's not that crazy. But, you know, it's taken the better part of this year. Like almost as long as we've had a weekly worship gathering, we've been talking about Corinthians. And I remember starting in Corinthians thinking, oh, this is just going to be a load off. You know, we're not going to have to think about specific kind of subjects for each week. You know, we'll have the text ahead of us and we can just mull in the text and, and talk together and discern God's will for our community. It'll be easy, right? Push yeah. It's been the hardest message series I've ever done. There's been so much thorny stuff. I don't know if you guys remember. Let me, let me share some of my memories with you. Let me share some of my memories with you about this. You have not forgotten. Okay, so one one that's particularly memorable slash humiliating for me, uh, but also an opportunity to grow and learn. Let's let's put a good spin on it. Uh, the the church and state conversation out of First Corinthians six. It did not dawn on me uh, until the middle of that message. So let me give you some context. Uh, Me Too, hashtag Me Too, had kind of just erupted nationally at that point. Um, This is the conversation we're having last April or May. And I begin the conversation talking about that guy in Memphis who uh, uh, had been accused rightly, lost his job. He was a megachurch pastor. And we're having this conversation about... Uh, sexual assault and about what's the relationship between the church and the state. And the way that I think to talk about that is to highlight the opinions of three white guys from history. It didn't dawn on me until the middle of that message, the great irony of that. So that's a memory I have. have awkward moments for Charles, right? Uh, I'm going to try to learn from that, okay? Uh, another one. Maybe you remember this one. Memorial Day. Uh, who planned the sermon series that uh, led us to talk about 1 Corinthians 7, the holiday weekend? Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is about sex and marriage and relationships. We do that on Memorial Day weekend when everybody decides to bring their parents. Everybody's parents come. And, and, and their parents' spouse. And their parents' spouse. 
<laughs> that's right. I, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and my neighbors came for the first time to that gathering that we talk about sex. And I, um, I read some things about sex that I remember, and maybe you remember. Uh, so that, that, was, that was that. Um, uh, I'll highlight to you, a, a highlight for me was, um, was Ted's message on 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it was one of the most honest um, soul-searching messages. And, um, it, and it was great because we had some friends that were a part of that conversation who could very much identify with, with Ted's yearning and longing for, what, what do I hang on to um, when it comes to trust and hope and love? Uh, and it was just, it was a serendipitous moment for who was in the room. Uh, and it was, it was characteristically uh, honest and impactful, Ted. I know you didn't expect me to kind of to affirm you in that way, but there it is. I thought that was, that's a, a great memory for me. That's, that doesn't fall in the awkward category. That falls in the great memory category. All right, so here's the moment of truth in every preacher's nightmare is to ask what you remember. Uh, you know, afraid that you won't remember anything. Uh, and the, the truth is, I don't expect you to remember a whole lot because it's just science that all of us forget about 90% of what we hear any given week. Uh, but I'd like to think, like good meals, I don't remember all the meals that I've ever eaten. I remember some of them that are particularly impactful. But I also like to think that I'm nourished by those meals, whether I remember them or not. So this is me trying to justify myself as a preacher before I ask you, what do you remember? What, what were the highlights for you from this conversation about First Corinthians? And maybe you haven't been a part of it very much or at all, and you don't remember anything because you haven't been here. That's okay. Um, for those of you who have been, share with us your, your memories, your learning. Miles. So, you know, somewhat comically, one of the first things that comes to mind is the month of Valerie reads the Clopper passages. Yes. <laughs> I had to preach that one, too, so. I know. Solidarity. I'm like, oh, I'll just read it. It'll be easy. And then I looked at it. Mm-hmm. And now every time she curates, she reads all the scriptures first. And then she's like, nope, that's Julie Kaiser. Yep. Yeah. I'm so conflicted about these things that are coming out of my wife's mouth. I'm going to have to reflect on that. <laughs> oh, but but it, in more seriousness, uh, you know, I just remember the level of honesty and earnestness that we've had over the last six months, six years, whatever it was. And, um, you know, at, at multiple points, I remember us remarking, you know, on the drive home of like, man, our church is getting it. Like, we have been on a good run with different people kind of bringing it from the mm-hmm. gospel and, yeah. and just enjoying that. And we've had tears, we've had songs about sex, we've had... Uh, ex- uh, the song didn't work. So we read the lyrics. Probably better that it didn't. We were going to play "Let's Talk About Sex" by Salt and Pepper that morning. I think the wheels would have fallen off. Uh, yeah. I'll 
lonely cell. But we just, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ross, you were saying? We just had a lot of really um, authentic and honest expression from a diversity of people up here, and it's just... Uh, it's really blessed me and yeah. me. Yeah, me too. It has been. It's very honest, very open conversations about, I mean, who would have thought this, this letter that's a couple thousand years old is provoking very timely conversations for us as a community in our social location. That's the fabulous thing about the story of God. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so I remember the first time our kids came and visited Storyline with us. Uh, it was when Ted talked about how the Bible wasn't written for you know white people like us, and uh, my kids left thinking, "Holy crap! I think we're gonna come back." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Another TED talk. We've got a lot of those. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a fabulous message, John. I'm grateful for the numerous times that Paul uh, brought forth his storytelling uh, talent to uh, engage us and to bring new light and perspective on familiar passages. Mm. Is there an instance of that that's particularly poignant to you? No, no, no. I mean, I just I, I forever uh, enjoy it with. Story yeah, yeah. I would say my personal favorite was his riff in First Corinthians eight about getting a birthday party invite to go to a birthday at the temple. Yeah, yeah. Go to a birthday party at the temple and kind of putting us as young parents or picking a lot of parents of young kids who are going to birthday parties um, in that. Oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, that was the. That was a cool insight. Uh, very good. Uh, so we're in chapter 16. That was our reading this morning. And really there's these final greetings of Paul. He's making some personal requests. Mostly it's about when Paul or his entourage might see the church in Corinth next. And nestled in chapter 16 is this encouragement that just came out and grabbed me in verses 13 and 14. And if you want to open it up in your phone or in your Bible, uh, we're going to hunker down in this and somewhere else as well. Uh, Paul encourages them. Uh, And Paul has a way of doing this, kind of summing up um, what he said and and the, the tone of the whole letter. In verse 13, he says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And I think that those lines probably speak to the extent to which this little Christian community of baby Christians in Corinth, Greece, were very much a counterculture in Corinth. They were a counterculture to temple practice and to the religious and moral mores of the day. And so, uh, as Paul told him in chapter 15, he says, Stand firm. Stay rooted in the gospel. Stay rooted in the work of Jesus, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and in the life of Jesus, in your life. Hang on to that. Be, uh, be courageous in hanging on to that, because it takes some courage. 
as this little minority religious community in a very contrary society around them. Be on your guard. Stand firm. Hang on to what you receive. Be strong. I think that verse 13 really points to that, that counter culture. But it was really verse 14, honestly, that got me. Uh, in verse 14, Paul says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. That is a great line. And, and I think it captures the heart of this whole letter. Uh, honestly, we should have named this series Back to Life. We should have named it Everything in Love. Because that is the great theme of this whole letter. I mean, and that, that's a best-selling kind of title. Everything in Love. I mean, that, that, that speaks, that'll preach, Right? Uh, think back through this letter and, and, and how this line, everything in love, summarizes so much of the conversation that's been had up to this point. It's really what the whole letter is about. Chapters 1 through 4, there's divisions in Corinth. Everybody's following different people here and there, and they're arguing about, oh, my guy's the best. No, my guy's the best. He's really, he's a better speaker. I mean, Paul, he... He's not worth anything. Like he can't. He doesn't get me excited. He doesn't have great stories and funny one-liners. I'm going with Apollos or or this other guy. And Paul enters in and says, "You guys, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Look past your divisions and and hang on to what it is you have in common. Because at the center is the cross of Christ, the love of Christ. So do everything." In love. In chapter 5, there's a guy in their church who's going to sleep. He's not going to sleep. Uh, he's doing something else. He's sleeping with his stepmom. Excuse me. Again, they got some problems going on in their community. And so Paul, in the same spirit, says, you, you need to confront this. This is toxic. This is a cancer on your community. Do everything in love. And in love, challenge this guy. Into the very love that would consider other people's needs ahead of himself. Do everything in love. Chapter 6. They're suing each other. The rich are taking the poor to court. And Paul says, hold on a minute. Who, uh, who do you think you are? Whose are you? Who do you belong to? This isn't the people of Christ. This isn't a loving thing to do. Do everything in love. Sort this stuff out. You guys have way bigger issues than you rich folk taking the poor folk to court so that you can take advantage of them. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come on. Chapter 7, we talked about that. In marriage and relationships. In, in, in committed covenantal relationships and in singleness and celibacy. Do everything in love. Think about your partner. Before your own needs. Think about what's best for them. Do what's best mutually for each other. Uh, in, in singleness and celibacy. Live your life for God. And, and for the kingdom of God. And for the Lord Jesus. Do everything in love. Chapters 8 through 10. The birthday party story that Paul was talking about. There's a big brouhaha going in the church. I mean... They don't have enough, it seems like, right? It's like we're going down this list of all the stuff that's going on. Well, there's a, there's a brouhaha over, can I, now that I'm a Christian, 
Can I go to the temple and eat food that's sacrificed to idols? Can I do that? Some would say, I'm free to do that. I'm, I'm fine. We're in Christ now. Christ has set us free. And other folks are saying, I'm sorry. I just came out of the cult of Diana. And it's really hard for me to see you eating that food and not think you're worshiping her and not the Lord God of the scriptures. And what does Paul say? Paul says, think about the needs of each other. What's, what's best? How can, you think of, how can you think of someone ahead of and beyond and before your own knowledge and your own freedom to what's best for someone else? Can you, can, you, can you give that up out of love? Do everything in love for each other. Chapter 11, in gender interactions and whatever in the world is going on with head coverings and prayer and prophecy there, uh, do that in love. Defer to each other. Honor each other in love. Uh, the, later, the latter part of chapter 11. In your communion practice. Again, rich and poor. Kind of dynamics going on. The rich are getting there early. They're, they're helping themselves. They're getting drunk. They're eating their own meals. And then the poor show up after, the, after a long day's work. And there's no food. They're hungry. They're completely left out. And Paul says... What are you guys doing? This isn't the supper of Jesus. This is your own fleshly supper. You guys need to look to the other's interest. You need to do everything in love. Wait. You know, if you need a snack, eat it at home so that you can be together. The gospel brings together rich and poor. Do everything in love. Think about each other ahead of yourself. Chapter 12 and 14. I'm getting tired talking about all their problems. Man, this is really, this is a trap, right? Chapters 12 through 14. The major conversation there is, oh, well, some thought they were super spiritual. And, hey, we can talk in tongues. And, and sure, nobody can understand me. But it makes me feel good about me, right? Paul says, hold on a second. Think of each other. Think of what's good for outsiders coming in. Think about, think about what's good for the whole community. If people can't understand you, that's not helpful. Do everything in love. Pursue the gift of love before you pursue any other spiritual gift after that. And then finally, chapter 16, we just read, we see Paul mentioning this tradition of saving up the community resources and giving them to Paul, ostensibly so he could take them to Jerusalem to give to folks in poverty who, who needed what the wealthy folks in Corinth had by way of resources so that they could subsist. And here, here we see Paul calling them to that out of the same impulse. Give of your finances, give of your resources to help those in poverty because that's what it means to love. Do, do everything. Even the way we handle our finances, let's do that in love for others. Which raises the question, what exactly is love? Because we talk about love, and we have one word for all the different layers and flavors and meanings of love. I think predominantly, culturally, when we talk about love, it is, it's a feeling. Do I feel love? It's a sense of connection or, or chemistry. We fall in love. We're in love with someone, someone. And the Greeks had that concept of love, but they didn't call it the word that Paul called it. That was eros, the word uh, that uh, 
erotic uh, kind of love comes from. The word Paul's using is agape. This is a different kind of love. Uh, it, it, it has a different flavor than just um, a, a sense of feeling or, or chemistry. In fact, they have, they have three or four different words for love. Uh, because as, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Moulin Rouge. Ewan McGregor. As Ewan McGregor sang so well. Love is a many splendid thing. It is. It's many splendors. Love is a many splendored thing. So the Greeks, they loved love. They had all these words for love. Love lifts us up where we belong. Um, so let's look. To answer this question, let's visit chapter 13 again. Because um, there's this great little passage that just explodes what this kind of agape love is. Uh, verses 4 through 8 ending with kind of 8A, love never fails. Would somebody read that for us? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I want to give you a minute to sit with that list. Just about 60 seconds. I want, to, I want you to sit with that list for you and for storyline. Um, in what ways does this description of love, agape love, in, in what ways does this call you personally to love more deeply? In what ways does this call us as a community to love more deeply? Just, just ruminate on this list of qualities. couple weeks ago, uh, we had a, a family visit. A few days previous to that, I kind of got contacted out of the blue uh, by this guy. You know, he wanted to learn about what we're doing. Um, he was interested in residency through Mission Alive and with Storyline. Um, residency is occasionally we have kind of church planters in training come and spend some time with us as a community. We've done that uh, a couple of times in our history, and then we send them out uh, to start a church. 
So we're their little laboratory um, to make a lot of mistakes and hopefully not blow up a church before they go and do it for real, right? And so he was interested in residency and he reached out. And it's pertinent to the story that um, he is a black man and he's married to a black woman. They have black children. It's a black, they're a black family. And um, we met for for barbecue um, the week before they visited. And some of you may, may know, I, thanks to um, some friends and even some mentors in my own education, I've been on my own journey when it comes to becoming cognizant of my whiteness and the way that that affects things and the way that that for my almost entire life has been invisible to me. And so I come into conversations with a brother in Christ who is of color uh, different than I used to, which was completely oblivious you know, in the past. Completely oblivious to, um, to ways that race and ethnicity play into dynamics. That's a longer conversation. But the short of it is, I asked him, and I would never have done this before, but I asked him, you know, hey, I'm curious. You know, you've worked in um, in a predominantly white church recently, and what was that like for you uh, as as a black man, as a black family? Uh, what you know, how did you how did you navigate that? And we ended up having this 45 minute long conversation uh, that was just wonderfully instructive um, to me. And illuminating and horizon broadening, and at the uh, and he was very gracious and kind. Uh, at the end of that conversation, um, he he said, "You know what? You know, we really we really want to visit your community sometime." He's very intrigued that we meet in Hamilton Park, a historically black neighborhood, and he knew that we were a pr- predominantly white community. And he said, I really like to, you know, what would you think if I did like a secret Santa kind of thing? I said, secret Santa kind of thing? What do you mean? mean?" Well, you know, like you don't tell anybody that I'm coming and I show up off the street and we just see how it goes. And I'm thinking through the ethics of this, honestly, as your pastor, I want you to trust me, you know, so so it was not my idea. Uh, you know, I don't want you to think that any random visitor that's showing up is we gotta be real nice because they might be a secret Santa, you know. Yeah, that's, you know. So I was like, I, honestly, I said, let me think about that because I'm not sure, and I'll I'll get back to you. Uh, the short of it is, um, I decided, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, you're gonna do that whether whether we say yeah, do that or not. And so he was like, cool. You know, we'll we'll come this weekend. And we'll just show up and I'll give you a report on our experience in the storyline community. Uh, I did tell one person. I told Paul. So, because uh, he was preaching and, you know, he, um, I don't know. I just told, I wanted him to know. But everybody else, as far as I know, you know, it, they were just anybody else. And so, after their experience, they made a list of names and criticisms for each person that they met. And so, I'm just going to read through those right now. Everybody. Right when your name is called. <laughs> uh, do you know what they said?
They said, that is an amazing group of people. And we felt so loved in our time there. Like it was uncanny how welcomed and loved we felt. And I want to tell you that I was, I, mean, I was out of town. So like that, that's the ultimate secret Santa, right? Like I, I couldn't be here in my type 3 Enneagram to manage image and to spin it the way that I wanted it to be spun. Like it was just you guys. And you, you killed it. Like you loved, you were who you are. And I share that with you as a, as, as a deep affirmation that you're living this stuff. Paul's call to do everything in love. The Spirit of God, the love of God is at work within this community. And that was just yet another evidence to me that, um, that God is glorified, that the love of God comes to life in our midst. And I, I praise God for that. That was, that was hugely affirming to all of you um, and to the kind of people and to the kind of community that this is. You know, I also have to wrestle, you know, as a pastor within this community. Um, how is God calling us to love more deeply? Um, how, how, how do we receive the challenge of loving? Because inevitably there is some challenge, right? Uh, I, at least there is for me. I'll speak for myself. Um, I've got a long way to go. That whole patience and kindness thing. And I can be a real jerk. I can be super impatient. Don't look at Julie's face right now, please. It will be damning. Even this morning, man, tired and cranky. I was like, I'm having so much trouble living the message that I'm about to preach. But I think there are ways, too, for us to grow into this even more as a community. And I'll say a couple very briefly. Um, The first one that I think is super timely about Corinthians is that, that right out of the gate... Paul addresses divisions. You may know this. Uh, we live in a highly polarized culture. Red and blue. We live in binary. Um, we live with sides and differences. Um, we live with affirming and non-affirming. Um, we live with so many uh, opposing sides. Uh, and I think... This provides us an opportunity either to get swept up into the antagonisms and ideologies and polarizations of the day or to take a third way and to be people of love. And here's some of my imagination about that. I would never suggest to you something that I haven't tried to practice myself and failed at pretty well, I'll I'll, I'll admit. Um, A spiritual practice that I have been... Uh, working through for the last three or four months. And, and really, this message kind of brought it to consciousness. Um, I, I have started to try in my conversations with people when politics comes up, when social conversations, conversations about sexuality, conversations about the governor, whoever it is, uh, when those conversations come up, I, I work really hard to imagine that there um, is every side represented in that conversation right in front of me. Does that make sense? And so, and so if that's the case, if we're talking about politics, I imagine, how am I going to speak in love if there is a Cruz fan and a Beto fan right in front of me? 
And so I'll catch myself. Ooh, I'm feeling, I feel a little snarky right now about Republicans. You know? Um, or, I, or, man, that's, that, you know, that's kind of smug and rude of me to be so self-assured about my position when I probably wouldn't talk that way if one of my friends who felt differently was right here in front of me. I think that's a way that we practice everything in love. That's not being disingenuous. That's being kind and considerate. Because the truth is, you may not know this, but there is every stripe and flavor of everything in this community. And so, even unwittingly, in our snark, in our, you know, well, I mean, obviously I hold this position because it's right. We trample on people when we have those kind of attitudes. So to do everything in love is to consider, am I speaking the same way uh, in every environment like I would if the person on the opposite side of something was right in front of me? Am I speaking in love? Am I speaking snark-free? Am I speaking in kindness? Um, no matter where I am. That's the way that I'm being challenged to do everything in love. Um, the second thing, very briefly, is uh, it's come up any number of times that there was a privilege issue in the Corinthian church. There's rich and poor. The rich are taking the poor uh, to, to court and suing them. The rich are not waiting for the poor in their communion meal. And they're taking advantage of them. They're leaving them out of the body of Christ. And I think that's a word for us. Let's be honest. I mean, we're, we're a reasonably affluent uh, white church. Um, and with that comes certain privilege. Uh, it comes with certain powers. And I think the call of Jesus, the call of Paul to do everything in love is to pay attention. And I'll talk about this hits me too as a male, right? Um, for those of us who are white males or who are males, this, the call of Jesus, the call of God in this letter is to think about how do we give up power for the other? That is an expression of love. How, how do I let loose of the privilege that I enjoy? And, and how do I own that? How do I see that? So that I can give it away. And give it to other people and be open-handed. Not as a, a, a white savior or somebody who's fixing the problem. But as someone who recognizes, man, I've been dealt a different deck of cards than lots of other people have. And I think that's a way. As, as the rich, as the white, as it were... Uh, that's a way that we engage the story of doing everything in love is to pay attention to that and to be open-handed with it. The gospel of Jesus is the one who, though he had divine privileges, he emptied himself out and became a servant. And I think that's a call to love for us in this community is to pour ourselves out. I'm out of time, way out of time. Um, so I was going to have you guys talk. Let's talk offline. Because, you know, you're probably hungry and want to go eat lunch. Um, the last thing I'll say is really encouraging. And that is, we don't have the resources to do this on our own. We do not have the resources to do everything with love on our own. Lest we fool ourselves and think that this is a new legalism. That instead of following some law or rules or distinctives, we should just now force ourselves to do everything in love. Ain't gonna happen, Captain. <laughs> we don't have the resources to do this on our own. But the good news is that to love is divine. 
And right at the center of this letter is the cross of Christ, where we see the purest, most beautiful epitome of self-giving love in the person of Jesus. It's the heart of Paul's message. It's foolish to folks who aren't steeped in love and who are steeped in the privilege and the wisdom of the world. But it's the chief example of agape love. And the good news is that the spirit of Jesus lives within all of us. It lives within this very community. He is the reason that you guys got such a good report about being amazing people. It's His work in our midst that gives us the resources for being a community of love that we are. It's His resources that's at work in our lives and in our relationships to help us to be people of love. We don't have the resources to do it, but we have the Holy Spirit. And he's all the resource we need because to love is divine. Because God is love. Jesus is love. The spirit of Christ is love. And that love dwells among us. That's good news.